and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. Um, it's another interview episode, and today I'm joined by Craig the Craggus. Again? Again, yeah, back. We've got a few people back now, so uh, we're just doing the rounds. Boomerang <laughs> Boomerang game. Well, the thing is, we're like the gateway drug to our podcast, <laughs> so people sort of come along, have a little taste, and then uh, want to get off and do proper ones afterwards. So, Look, you, I, I know you've got to the end of your roller deck, so you just gone back, back to the start, <laughs> start, start the and you've reached C, so here I am. <laughs> well, it's, it was the threat that I had after we finished this last time, like, I have other films that I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I am not finished. Okay, so um, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Um, not blogging as much as I want to. Um, I, I, I've got this really annoying thing called a real life, which tends to get in the way. Um, and it's just been crazy over the summer. And I think there was a point at one stage where I hadn't been inside of a cinema for about 16 days. Wow, is that which a record? unprecedented for me <laughs> okay. in recent years. Um, I'm going four times this weekend though, so I'm, I'm I think that makes up the average. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, I think um who's last I last spoke to? Um Adele Drover. She also had real life get in the way of her um vlogging. Um so it's, it's a common theme. Maybe it's us. Maybe we... That was the, that was the Valerian. Episode. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I thought you were both very cruel to that film. I love that film. How can you love that film? Because I think there's room for colourful, bright, optimistic sci-fi. Oh, yes. And people don't embrace it. And it's the same with, what was the uh, Wachowski's one? Jupiter Ascending? Yeah, that's what we People complain it. there's no original sci-fi. When it comes out, you kind of got to support it. Good or bad, you've got to go along and buy a oh, ticket so that people will make more and the quality will follow. But it's, it's the, in that, it's the acting, which is the real... The two main characters, that they've been slightly less hateful. Dane DeHaan is nobody's leading man. Um, he's barely a supporting <laughs> character actor. But I'll tell you, what I, I tend to use as, as a bellwether on those kind of films is my kids. Yeah. So I like seeing films with them because I then see it through their eyes. And Valerian played like gangbusters to them. Well, it's beautiful. It, it's great to look at, but they loved the adventure. They didn't sit there going, well, he's a bit wooden, I don't like that. And look, I'm not going to complain about the Rihanna scene. I thought that was great. It was a masterpiece. But yeah, I listened to that episode. I was kind of nodding along and then you're getting harsh and harsh and I started shaking my head. I was like, no, I cannot support this anymore. I just think, yeah, we fell down a rabbit hole because it's a, it, we kind of got like, uh, it's like noticing a hair on your food. It's like once you've seen it, you can't you can't just dig in. The dish is spoiled. <laughs> you can't just like fork that shit in without any looking at it again. You, no, no, my, you have to check each fork for after that. I'm afraid my plan is I'm going to distract you with this film, and meanwhile I'm going to sneak Valeria out, <laughs> out of the bunker when you're not looking. I'm going to go on the safety lock and key. Catch up on good and bad things that you've seen. Uh, do you know what I think? This year has been a really so, sorry. Quickly recap: the last time I was here, the good things you'd seen were Aladdin. Yeah, Aladdin surprised me um, much better than I expected it to be. I can't remember what you got disappointed by. Oh, neither can I. See, I tend again. That's I tend how disappointing not, it was. <laughs> I tend not to dwell on the negative stuff. No. It's, I see it, I go, "Oh, that was rubbish," and I move on. Yeah. Um, except for Valerian, where I just <laughs> go, God damn it. Um, so, but. Comparing this point last year, uh, sorry, this point now to last year, it just seems it's been a really mediocre year for film. I was looking back at my notes and stuff, I got loads of six out of tens or three stars, however you want to rate it, but like, nothing, kind of two ten out of tens. And what were they? Uh, it was Avengers Endgame, which kind of felt like a obligation ten out of ten. Well done, 23 movies fantastic and you didn't drop the ball I think that yeah. is yeah, that's uh, it's, specialty movie. it's a remarkable achievement and it is a great film it's not a fun watch it's not as fun as the rest of the traffic but it ends the story and maybe that's why I don't like it endings are sad inherently yeah 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 um, the other one is Dora the Explorer I haven't seen that fantastic film absolutely does ex what, everything it needed to do which is why I gave it a 10 out of 10 it's not the best film in the in the world in would Scorsese like it would Scorsese say it was cinema <laughs> I think Scorsese wouldn't even bother to call it television um, but me and Marty don't see eye to eye on that whole situation anyway which I'm sure keeps him up at night yeah yeah um, he's been on the phone <laughs> he's like why won't Craig speak to me anymore <laughs> but no Dora the Explorer 
everything you need from a movie adaptation of a kids TV show it has something in there for the grown-ups or people who thinks the show is a bit daft it's got stuff in there for people who are fans of the show and still love it it's got stuff in there for people who've never seen the show and have been dragged along for whatever reason as my sister and her husband were when they came down to visit um, it's a better version of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull well, it can't be a worse version than no it's true. that's a very low bar to start with <laughs> but it's arguably the best Tomb Raider film we've ever got as, as well wow okay fair enough yeah no um, my kids enjoyed the cartoon so it, it's fun it's really really good fun Good. I don't give 10 out of 10 lightly and I had no hesitation with Dorothy has it, has it been a year of surprising film because um, Detective Pikachu was a, uh, a film as well that was like yeah. I was like what are you doing why and then watched it and, and really enjoyed it there have there has been a tendency this year that the properties that you would have banked on on paper yeah have stumbled and the kind of wacky wild cards have come through and kind of gone do you know what we're not terrible in fact we're pretty good so <laughs> Detective Pikachu great fun film has some issues but yeah, yeah. delivers on what it should do but Men in Black International fizzled I haven't watched that it's it's okay yeah. that's it 2019 is the year of it's okay <laughs> <laughs> but playing it a bit safe do you think people I don't know because you wouldn't think like with big like Men in Black you're going to get an audience regardless. And I think that's the problem. That's why we're seeing so many of these kind of... Here's a recognisable name. Yeah. Um, come and see it because you recognise the name. One of the problems with Joker. But they're not pushing the brand. They're not doing anything different with it. Marvel tend to do this with their properties. They go, here's the recognisable brand, but we're going to do a few weird twists on mm. it. So you, it's not like what you read in the comics. You might not like it. You might love it but here's a, a different version yeah. of it. DC, with mixed results, have done that as well. They've tried to push it in different directions and at least not just cookie-cutter the same kind of thing, which the Superman franchise, especially yeah. by the time you got to four, had started to do, was just... Paint here's by a numbers. Guard. Yeah. Um, but I think Men in Black just came out and went, here is exactly the same story again. Okay, so those are the films that you enjoyed, not many, many. Any films that you were looking forward to and disappointed? I'm not going to dwell on Joker because, I, to be honest, I wasn't really looking forward to it. Um, mainly because I've got this thing about if films get insanely hyped beforehand, yeah. they become an obligation. Uh, and this was very much in the category of, you must have an opinion, TM. It does seem like it's very much an opinion piece. Like, uh, I, I wasn't looking to watch this film but my friend suggested a cinema trip so he was like I, I thought we'd go see the, the Joker and um, yeah and it, it seemed to be one of those films where you weren't allowed to just think it was okay no you were, you had to either hate it or evoke it as the greatest piece of cinema ever since cinema began yep pick a side pick a side you, you can't be in the middle but I thought it was alright I thought it was okay I loved those eras of films that it was it was aping on this sort of Scorsese, I mean, it had Kubrick tendencies, and um, there wasn't a lot of uh, himself in it, I didn't think, in terms of directing. What were you expecting? A missing tooth and a tiger in the bathroom? <laughs> I mean, he's not, I don't think he's got enough of a track record to have a kind of signature style. Yeah. For me, the problem was it just didn't need to be Joker, it didn't need to be it Gotham. Didn't. And that was, for me, Todd Phillips wanted to make a serious film. Good for him. Go make a serious film. He wanted to kind of homage Scorsese. Okay. He had an interesting story about a guy who's had a rough time of it, is down on his luck, is treated shabbily by the world. Yeah. And then it was like they got to that point and went, nobody's going to come see this film from The Hangover Guy. What if we slapped a recognisable brand name on the top? Let's paint it as the Joker. Yeah. And the film is decent enough that it could have run on its own and been a proper exploration of mental health but I found because it was the Joker you're just waiting for him to become the Joker yeah yeah there was that very um, I, I found it an incredibly tense watch because you know it's the Joker at all points you're waiting for the horrible 
the the insane, the the, the nasty to come out of him. You're, you're waiting for it. Um, and I didn't feel, and it's one of those weird things. Like as a standalone film about a guy suffering from mental illness, I think it works and it works well. Yeah. Um, it's maybe overacted a bit, but apart from that, it's perfectly fine. If you have a knowledge of the the world of the Joker, then you can't see how that he goes from that to because I mean like yeah he suffers some trauma he's got some mental issues but from that to the babbling homicidal maniac that we you well, know, see completely and utterly you know, disconnected from society it's like I, I don't see it I don't. But see which it which flavor of Joker is is your favorite? Do you want the the wacky? clown prince of crime plotting a heist do you want the anarchist do you want the sadist mm. do you want the this this was Joker as a a martyr I guess yeah. uh, which is an okay take on it but let's all just be thankful that the film finally showed us how Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne met their end because if that's not been filmed before <laughs> Honestly, it cleared up a massive gaping hole in the Batman legs. When is she going to lose her pearls, for God's sakes? <laughs> I, I, I have to admit, I don't know the cartoon lore. Were pearls that significant until Tim Burton? I, I don't think so. Because I, I think know. everyone seems... Surely he'd be Pearl Man if they were that big, right? <laughs> but everyone seems to go back to that. On that. <laughs> those pearls clattering to the floor, which is Tim Burton. And it feels to me like that was his contribution, but I haven't read the original book. Was that not just his way of doing a PG death? Like surely that's just how you do a PG death. You show something broken. Yeah, I, but you, you can't say we're like a gaping wound and. Uh. No, it's a great it's a great visual piece of cinema, which is why I think it's been aped so often. But yeah. it, it's gone to the point where it's it's gone past cliche to parody now. And I didn't know Bruce Wayne was a massive dick as well, so that's good to know. Yeah, it's, it's the Wayne family, not quite as nice as our, their publicists would have had us believe. <laughs> I mean, I think Wayne probably judged the, dodged a bullet there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, Arthur? Well, he did have a weirdo come to stick his finger in his mouth. <laughs> At what point did Wayne Manor get better security? <laughs> Spoiler warning, Spoiler. Joker is... It's, it's okay. It's okay. It's the year of okay. Okay, so um, we're not here to talk about this year's good and no. bad films. We'll talk about um, your... We're going 20 years. No, tw- oh, it's 30 years. I feel so old now. <laughs> we're going 30 years back in time. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, it's one of those things of getting older. So someone's just nighting, nighting to me and I'm like, ha! Yeah, everything was no more than 20 years ago at most. <laughs> okay, so back in then, there was a... A, 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 a franchise called Star Trek. Yeah, whatever happened to that? I don't know. It's coming back, is it? <laughs> um, so we're going to look at today at Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which I can't believe there wasn't a Star Trek called The Final Frontier until The Final Frontier. It's also odd that it's not the final one featuring the original crew. It's like It felt like it should have been kept in a vault until they were ready. Are we sure? Are we sure now? Yeah, because after this one, there's another really, really good one. <laughs> And in fact, the one after this, The Undiscovered Country, I would argue that Star Trek films were never that good again. Did they find it? The Undiscovered Country? Yeah. Well, it's the future. <laughs> okay, so, so we yeah. just kept searching. <laughs> so um, I'll play the trailer now. A strange force has entered the galaxy. The future of mankind is at stake. It could only mean one thing. Greetings, Captain. Spock! I do not think you realize the gravity of your situation. The vacation is over. Now, the crew of the Starship Enterprise... Enterprise, are you ready? ...is taking adventure where it has never gone before. What are you standing around for? Do you not know a jailbreak when you see one? From the mind of a madman. Hostile force has taken control of our vessel. Mr. Solo, full ahead. Through the center of the galaxy. You know we'll never make it through the Great Barrier. To the final frontier. Fascinating. How often have you done this? Actually, it's my first attempt. Fire the rockets! You never cease to amaze me. Nor I myself. This is the boldest trek of all. Warp speed now. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Mr. Scott, you're amazing. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. 
So yeah, spoiler the trailer just in case no one's seen the film before. Well, there you go. I rest my case. <laughs> what a great film that was. <laughs> two, two minutes and we're done. Okay, so um, how does this film start and what do you like about it? <laughs> so I think I need to give you some context around my history with Star Trek V um, because when it first came out and for the longest time it was my reigning champion of the film I'd seen the most often in the cinema. When it was first released, I saw it five times. Not because I loved it so much, but because I didn't. Like a massive Trekkie or Trekker, or whatever your preference is. And I kind of watched it and went, huh, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I thought, I must have missed something. It's a Star Trek film. I should love it. So <laughs> I went back and I went back and I went back. Um, and it never kind of properly clicked. And then so years passed, uh, more sequels came out. I yeah. kind of forgot about it. And then it was only when I kind of went back and started re-watching them. And you dig into what happened behind the scenes of it. You start to understand where some of its shortcomings come from. And I think the older I got, the more I appreciated the stuff it gets very right. Right. Um, and I think if you are a fan of the next generation and the Star Trek movies then yes Star Trek 5 could look quite weak yeah if you're a fan of the original series Star Trek 5 starts to look a very different very faithful right to that kind of 60s character driven interactions between the crew because um, this isn't an action filled film uh, unless you're William Shatner no because obviously he's directing it he's had a hand in the story I, mean, I think it's a case in point there because obviously we saw the trailer there and sort of like the biggest action scene I think is when the uh, the Klingon bird of prey uh, ship blows up the old satellite Pioneer 10 yeah yeah yes. so it's um, and that's actually featured in the trailer as uh, like yeah, it, it almost feels like a scene that's shoehorned is like shit we've had two space battles can you have like I don't know here's our lack of money shot <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's much more character driven, I think, than any of the films that preceded it. It doesn't have the kind of story driven approach that Star Trek forwarded with the whales and that kind of fun back yeah. in time. It doesn't have the the swashbuckling action of Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. It's very much a bottle show, and I think weirdly, it was Paramount's most successful. And most profitable franchise. Just because you went five times, right? <laughs> yeah, it was me. I, I was keeping it afloat. But every single successive sequel, they cut the budget. They weren't right. investing. And it was very much the way back then is sequels were expected to do less and less business, so they got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And you see that through the 80s with every franchise. Right, so they, they work on a diminishing return model. They think it's going to do less, so they so spend they spend, less. Yeah, and so it, it maintains the profitability. Um, and then I think... Five was cut, had its budget cut during production, um, and that completely kiboshed the ending that was planned and written and would have been right. very different. And it, the film noticeably runs out of steam in that last kind of 20 30 minutes. The end feels very much like we need to end this. And the other, the other problem they had was it was right during the 1988 writers' strike. Was that back then? Yeah, so they couldn't rewrite things on the fly. They couldn't adjust to their reduced circumstances. Right. So they had to kind of go with what they could cobble together. Just cut around it. I mean, basically, while it was damaging this, it was also screwing up the next generation's second season on TV. So Star Trek suffered a lot from that writer's strike. <laughs> and we got reality TV as a result, so that's always something wonderful to come out of everything. Yeah, see, that's a... <laughs> There you go. There's your uh, trinity of terror from, <laughs> from the writer's track. So, in terms of um, plot for this film, then, so it starts off on the arid planet of galactic peace. Yeah, Nimbus Three um, starts off very western. Starts off with a mysterious horse mysterious rider because Shatner's directing. There's going to be horses because he loves his horses. He does love a horse. Um, it's quite well shot, though. I mean, Shatner first it's time feature director. Amazing how many alien planets have horses, isn't it? I think if you look closely, it's got a little horn, little horn. Uh, crazy glued to its uh, snout to show you it's an alien horse. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's got this kind of mythic quality. It's the only Star Trek film to date that has a cold open. So the same way the series did of 
you have a little scene beforehand, yeah. then into the credits, and then the rest of the film. Um, and it brings us Cybok, who's a laughing Vulcan. And you're like, oh, that's that's quite weird. Yeah. Um, and then do it we just, know he's a Vulcan straight away? Because he's kind of hooded. Mm. He uses it to explain how he's going to manage to get a starship. Because right. he takes off his hood and shows the guy's ear, the guy with the worst teeth I've ever seen in, in yeah. Star Trek. Do you think they're fake or did you think they've hired someone? I really hope they're fake. <laughs> <laughs> or he just wandered off the lot from a Mad Max sequel that was filming down the road. Um, yeah, so he goes, oh, you're a Vulcan. I, I don't know, I don't, Vulcans have like Uber X with starships. They can just like... Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise... We learn later the planet uh, well, the planet has a Klingon <laughs> the planet has a Klingon a Romulan a Terran so I'm yeah. assuming any of them could summon a starship if they want. I'm amazed they don't have their own. Like it, the, it never really articulates what the point of the planet of galactic peace is, um, and I think that shows how interested the the film is in that particular concept or idea. Yeah, it's it's just an excuse to get the Enterprise roped in. Yeah, but we're introduced to Cybox power power of pain or pain relieving or giving of pain and then relieving of pain it's, or exposing of pain I think it's Cyborg's power of aggressive psychotherapy um, <laughs> it's like why he never went into Starfleet and became a ship's counsellor I mean uh, Deanna no. Troy would have had no chance against <laughs> this guy but yeah he Next. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit like Lucifer from the, the TV series with right. his whole tell me of your Tell me your pain. Tell me your honest desire, that kind of thing. But yeah, so apparently he, he listens to people's problems and he goes, oh, they're there, never mind. And they go, cheers, mate. I'll do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so he's some kind of like hypnotic agony arm in yeah, space. Yeah, sort of, because this, this enthralls people. and But there's sort of like beginning and end of his enthrallment is never really kind of fleshed out or explained, right? Because no, it's the beginning of the enthrallment is after, tell me your pain, then he gives him a little man cuddle and then then they go right what do you want me to do and then later on they're like do they drift away what, is that? what happens to them well I, I guess they're kind of of the cause now that's it they've, they've joined up they've signed yeah. up they've, they've got their thetans arranged but they don't and they're, they're signing up to they're just <laughs> yeah I mean he's a Scientologist <laughs> there you go that's, that's at least the they didn't have to pay right I mean, well we this, don't know that this guy's got a gun and a hole apparently <laughs> a gun made of um, some Plumbing pipes and yeah, and he seems stones. to shoot, shoot stones, right? Yeah, they ban weapons on a planetary scale because it's a galactic planet of peace. Yes, so obviously no weapons. Um, <laughs> it's just not explored, and it's where you can see that clearly the the script they had to shoot from was not the finished article. Yeah, lots of things aren't quite polished; they're not articulated as well as they could be. Uh, but I'm here to plead on the film's behalf to just go with it let's, let's get past the weird Nimbus 3 part okay but not just yet <laughs> <laughs> oh wait so the next thing we see um, is uh, Kirk up a mountain yep well we see someone up a mountain then we see Kirk up a fiberglass wall <laughs> yeah I mean the, the better definition gets the worse that this, this is. this look. is always yeah this is always my um, argument to people that go, oh it looks terrible it's like it didn't in standard definition in standard definition that looked like a a cliff face. I, I don't think it looks terrible, but I grew up in the seventies watching shiny. Doctor Who, so I, I can tolerate a lot more wobbly sets than <laughs> than Star Trek on the big screen. It's quite nice. I mean, from the way it looked like he was high, right? So. Yeah, and actually, having watched that, um, what was that climbing documentary with the guy who free climbed El Capitan, free solo? Yes. You watch that, and you go you could splice bits of Star Trek V's opening in there and you probably wouldn't notice the difference no um, he had more convincing hair I think the, the documentary guy but again I kind of I'm surprised by Shatner's eye for a good visual I mean you've got the usual we're flying through space yeah. title and then we fade into sunrise over El Capitan and he fades the mountain shadows in first Yeah. so you've still got the starry sky and then the sun comes up and it's just a lovely image. It, there, is, uh, there is a few pieces in this film where you kind of go, that's actually quite pretty. Yeah, I mean, even right to the end, you've got the, the planet of Shakari and the the guy goes, hi, I'm, I'm the guy you've been looking for, and the pillar of light shoots out, and then you've got the shot from orbit of it shooting yeah. past the Enterprise, and it, it looks gorgeous. Yeah. 
in a still frame. <laughs> Moving, you start to see the limitations of, of the effects they had to use. And, and the heroes, like, like, as you said, it's good, like, with the, the special effects of this film aren't awesome. Um, there's, there's quite obvious blacking outs. and um, They're a step down from the film that preceded it and succeeds it as well. Yeah. Um, it, they, again, they had budget issues. They had they were let down by their original plan. The, the making of this film is a fascinating story in and of itself. Um, and they had to get another effects company in at short notice to do a bunch of stuff, generally with um, kind of going back to Kubrick in 2001. Yeah. Oil and water and stuff into liquid and film that and superimpose the, it. Yeah. That was the bit at the end, right? Um, so The Great Barrier. It wasn't that great, was it? it didn't take, and that again, massive hole in the script. An hour. No talking, one's ever come out of it. An hour talking about the Great Barrier, ne- never been breached, can't be done. Everything's been destroyed. Nothing's ever come back out. Oh, we've arrived at the Great Barrier. Okay, on we go, and we're through. Literally, nothing happened. And quite clearly, leaves very easily as well. Yeah, it's it's done. I think in the novelization there was a few throwaway lines about Cyborg had received a vision of some f- uh, shield modulation that allowed it. But, oh, that's the kind of detail that would have been good in the film. That would have been handy, yeah, because that, yeah, that that would have got rid of the plot. Hole. But it's a massive anticlimax because oh, huge you go. Um, and yeah, it's there's a, another thing about we've kind of jumped from the very beginning. To that's the fine. End. This is what we do. Yeah. Um, but and this is a bit of deep cut Trek Trek trivia here. There is an episode of the Next Generation in season four, I think, called the Nth Degree, where Dwight Schultz as Lieutenant Barkley gets zapped by a probe, becomes uh, super, super, super intelligent. Yes, yes, I remember that one. Takes the Enterprise D to the center of the galaxy, right, and meets a race called the Cytherians, who look kind of like the guy in Star Trek Five, right. But you're about, th- I think, the Next Generation episode was made two three years after Star Trek 5 and you just kind of go in, in, in your own head canon or certainly I have I've gone well clearly the guy in Star Trek 5 is a criminal of that race that they meet in the next generation and that's why he's imprisoned on that planet right and he needs a lift but they don't reference anything about Star Trek 5 in the next generation and it's always bugged me because I thought you could just <laughs> connect that, that up yeah. and it just makes it retrospectively much more interesting <laughs> um, but I, I kind of think you made the guy that actually appears look really like the, the guy in Star Trek 5 so somebody do something yeah. yeah I think the plot isn't the best thing about Star Trek 5 um, it's a very Star Trek one the crew of the Enterprise meet God I mean, Gene Roddenberry wanted to do that story since he first put pen to paper and created it. Yeah, it's it. a tricky one to um, to sell to the networks, I imagine. Though. Well, yeah, but don't forget, we live in an era where people are going around unironically going that Star Trek Discovery is the first time Star Trek has dealt with religion. Right. You know, forget Deep Space Nine yeah. in its entirety <laughs> and all of the uh, original series episodes where they went and met false gods. Yes, many times. Um, no, no, Discovery is the one that's, that's set, the set the film one, right? there. Yeah. But there's where Star Trek V is very faithful to the original series. They go to a planet, somebody demonstrates amazing powers, claims to be a god. Yeah. And they go, really? And they go, no, not really. Oh, God, me. <laughs> and then they leave. And yeah. that is an original series episode. I mean, that, we're kind of shortcutting it, but that is fundamentally the plot, isn't it? So like the uh, the, the planet we saw down in Galaxy Peace um, is just, I don't know how he got there. Sorry, it's a yeah we don't know where he's come from um, he wants to go to the centre of the universe to meet he needs a starship to do it so he kidnaps the three sort of local dignitaries right yeah the three down on the luck diplomats yeah. who've been assigned there because yeah I don't know um, we don't yeah. know well, you're kind of given the excuse that like the, the first two look proper jakey like you know they, they're clearly drinkers and they've been sort of sequestered out to that you know yeah, and then back and beyond, and then this Tia Carrera looking <laughs> yeah, yeah, turns yeah. up, and you go, Shatner, I know where you're going with this. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> as soon as you see like the gold lamy, so you're like, oh, Jesus, Shatner, really? But uh, yeah, it's he's bringing the flavour of a Western frontier town, and yes. it's, it's clearly a venue for a set piece because you've got the Enterprise, Shakari, Nimbus Three, and that's your locations for this film. There's not a well, lot you've got Yellowstone, uh, Yosemite. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but that's that's kind of it in that Shatner brings some things to the screen that hadn't been done before. He beats Total Recall to the punch of having a triple-breasted alien woman. There. Yeah, so I, I, what I want to say is, there's, so to explain, they're um, in the like the bar of this planet. Because of, saloon, they, it's a western. It's a, yeah, sorry, it's saloon. These, the three dignitaries are meeting out back, emissaries, probably emissaries, emissaries are meeting out back, and out front, that the, you can imagine when they're rising, they, manage, they managed to, to be a, a beautiful vista of you know, low lives and crazy oh, stuff going on. One hundred percent. That script said the Star Trek version of Moss Eisley from Star Wars. Yeah, but better. <laughs> and what the they one. actually got was the Star Trek version of Moss Eisley from Star Wars, but much cheaper. <laughs> so much cheaper. Um, um, but the the sort of focal point of this um, saloon area is a a cat lady with three breasts dancing. On the Pro- bar, provocative. I don't know, but she's making weird cat noises too. Right? She is, and, and I'm, for the podcast, this plays well because I'm doing little cat hands. Yeah, it's like I'm watching a live Snapchat filter. Um, <laughs> yeah, her heart's clearly not in it because she's just kind of. It's very. And one person touches her tail, and, just, and then she makes like wow yeah. noise. Um, but you kind of go, all right, Bill, you do you. I can I can forgive three tick cat lady. What I can't forgive. Is Paul? <laughs> oh, so like they're playing a bar game, which looks like uh, cool. so people yeah, billiards in America, yeah, yes, but but it's, but it's actually floating balls. They're in a pool. <laughs> no, I think you've you've made, um, you're seeing a bad pun where there's none. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't believe that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I assume actually no. Thinking about Shatner, that probably was the intent. <laughs> I've always just headcanoned that as Domjat, which is a game that's mentioned in Star Trek Next Generation when Picard gets his heart stabbed by a Nausicaan. They want right. to play Domjat, and I think Deep Space Nine references it. But I'm now scrubbing that because I think you're right. I think it was a really bad pun. Visual pun. Yes. <laughs> uh, we can't Fine. have we can't have exotic aliens and a swing band written by John Williams. So we'll have a triple-breasted cat lady and a flooded pool table <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so at this point as well um, Owen Yannis mentioned um, Spock's eyebrows so I know we haven't got a lot of budget for this film but we must have more than just an eyebrow pencil <laughs> you have missed the key hair fact that's going on the key oh well yes there is because Shatner in all his preparations to be director had forgotten to grow his pointy Star Trek sideburns. Oh. So for the majority of the film, he is wearing a stage moustache cut in half in front of each ear. That is a factoid and a half. It is. That That's the kind of nugget you get if you bother to read his biography I, I of making the film. Chris has suddenly looked up, scared into the sky. Like, I feel a great rendering in the, in the factoid force. <laughs> Someone has out-factoided me. That's brilliant. I like that one. So Spock at this point now looks like those you know you see those old ladies <laughs> that have like refused to change style from when they were 25 and um, have shocking black hair and like wherever their eyebrows used to be is not where the current line is where they draw. You're accusing Spock of cosplaying as Hilary DeVay back in his day. <laughs> Well, um, do you remember uh, it was at the fast show where uh, John Thingle used to like be an old man with a sharpie and go yes yeah um, and now I'm a Vulcan <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it's Leonard Nimoy and I think I've always thought that Spock got more and more interesting as he got older because the more craggy that face yeah. became it's just more fascinating to watch yeah his eyebrows are definitely on fleek in this film <laughs> and he is he is uh, tweezed them to the nature yeah, of life. Contoured to death. <laughs> and then, shock horror spoiler: his brother. <gasps> I didn't has, know he had a brother. <laughs> has like these big bushy ones that just flick up at the ends. I mean, he's he's clearly not gone to the same grooming well, Vulcan Academy. He's the wild man of the family. He is. He's a laughing Vulcan. Well, let's examine that family for a moment. Yeah. Because I was confused. Spock has a half-brother that he's never mentioned before. Ever. Huh, weird. Flash forward to present day, Spock has an adopted sister that he's never mentioned, <laughs> which is Michael Burnham in Discovery. 
Yes. So at the centre of this web is Sarek of Vulcan. Like, before a respected and revered diplomat and yeah. leader of people, now kind of the Boris Johnson of the Federation with, like, unacknowledged like, children how many wrestling around. do you have? <laughs> also, akin to the whole Cytherian next generation not acknowledging Star Trek V bugbear, it bugs the shit out of me that nobody mentions Cybok at all yeah. at any point in Star Trek Discovery Just when they're ever. talking about mystery children and siblings and the Sarek family nobody's going oh yeah don't forget our older brother who's probably hanging around just out of shot yeah it's, it's died like, needlessly on our planet <laughs> <laughs> but they wouldn't know that then because it's, it's prequel but it's it's like um, it's almost like the Osborns where there was that older daughter who didn't want to be in the reality show yeah. so she, <laughs> she was never mentioned there's just Jack and Kelly that's Spock and Burnham yeah just no one wants to talk about it anymore unless I've completely ruined Discovery Season 3 and that's going to be all about Cybok <laughs> each season seems to be about one of Sarek's kids so I took a couple of pictures of the film as it happened um, it kept annoying me that they kept standing in the size order it's like why why would this happen like that one see it's Spock McCoy and it's Sh- like they're about to break out into some sort of like uh, barber's quartet Shatner does like his poster shots as yeah. he arranged the heads on a poster yeah. you'll see that time I think again. he thinks that's how people stand always <laughs> it's like people don't stand older and then there was a t-shirt that looked like it'd been memed which said um, go climb a, a rock that's a little acknowledgement of the fact that apparently uh, Captain Kirk sorry has a hobby of rock climbing yeah. again like one of Sarek's children he's never mentioned never before. mentioned it but now he's bang into it yeah but um, it felt like it felt like such a white open space that they left themselves the ability to scrub that out and change it to go I think ride a horse I think you've just unearthed the nugget of a meme yeah in it's Star the very Trek first 5. meme ever go on recorded. get that screen grab and get a uh, Sending in your suggestions of what could be said on. You could, Captain I mean, I, the one I've got isn't the best one. There's one where he stood directly straight on, and it's. And I actually had to like double check when he moved to make sure it wasn't actually memed on. I, I suspect Shatner thought that was thematic cohesion by pulling <laughs> in the the rock climbing into that that set, that shiny white set of the Enterprise. There's not a lot of the Enterprise we see this time around, right? No, and it's... Again, we've got that... Even exterior shots are quite... Again, I think they were dealing with what they could afford at that point. I mean, the sets, the interior sets had been built. You see some that are built for this film. Um, If you look, you'll see a lot of reuse of the existing standing sets of The Next Generation, which was on air at the time. You pointed out in the trailer. Yeah, in the the trailer you can see a corridor shot, and it's it's clearly just the Enterprise-D. They haven't even dressed it at all. Um, The bridge set is new. It's not my favourite. I I, I adore the one they do for Star Trek VI. I think it's my favourite Enterprise bridge of all. It's a bit more graphic equaliser. This is very... Apple Store. <laughs> it, it looks a lot like the one from the J.J. Abrams films. Yeah. Albeit with less money spent on it, but it's less it's lens that flare. Kind of, much less lens flare. I probably couldn't afford that particular filter. Um, but there's other nice sets. There's the forward lounge of the Enterprise. That's beautiful. Seen yeah, I mean, I think and that's the, the, the old ship steering wheel. Yeah, that's like as a captain's quarters kind of thing. Is uh, it, it's a really nice little touch that you kind of the film that's trying to cut corners didn't need to have but it does have it and it sets some nice I feel that there. William Shatner probably um, made insisted on that and that made its way to his front room oh absolutely you you know in his hallway there's that big ship's wheel to boldly and go and the lovely uh, tiled floor with yes. the compass on it that's <laughs> definitely in there um, so that they uh, they do the typical Star Trek thing of going down to the planet to save um, the, the, the trio of emissaries yes um, now we've, we've already there's a Star Trek trope you've skipped over, which is the transporters are out. Always, yeah, because that would shortcut everything that was needed. And that, actually, we've we've missed another one, which I think there isn't a Star Trek film that doesn't make this absurd point and hope that nobody goes, excuse me. <laughs> uh, the Enterprise is the only starship in range. Always. With now, an experienced crew. They did add this, that caveat, I remember this time. It said, recall your command crew, but you've got like five engineers and like a, an assistant cook on board. Now yeah, off who, you was, go. who was on board? <laughs> well, they, they were 
the ship was in pieces they were repairing it because it had been hastily constructed and wasn't space worthy but that's fine off you go yeah but you see this time and time again the Enterprise always has to be the only ship with an interception range and you go it's around Earth you're telling me that Starfleet never keeps like a good batch of ships just around Earth. Um, but it happens again and again and again. And you just kind of have to go, yeah, it's Star Trek. They can only send ships that have a TV series about them. <laughs> but, so it's a Starfleet regulation say, number it, two. It, it's docked on that. So what we're saying is, fundamentally, in that direction, there are no starships. So all of the other starships are that way, right? Well, they're behind the planet. But it's no. <laughs> Maybe, but you kind of think, wait, if the only starship in Earth orbit is the Enterprise, which is out of commission because it's broken, why aren't all the other powers of the galaxy invading Earth at that point? Because like this one ship, this one ship, broken ship. Yeah, um, captains up a mountain. <laughs> Don't know. Yeah. The, it, so yeah, the ship isn't working, um, which is an old writer's trick because the ship is always the most powerful thing so it's why it gets knocked out of commission in so many it's Star Superman Trek isn't it you have to it is the Superman thing you've got to nobble the ship to give drama yeah otherwise the ship can no solve most of the problem <laughs> because it will eventually that's I think that's always the case is it, it will eventually solve the problem um, it just can't do it right now because now is too soon it can if, if you can't find a better way to solve the story by the end of your 44 minute episode fix the ship fix the ship <laughs> beam them up done so yeah, yeah we've got the ship is broken it's understaffed so we don't need to pay for many extras um, the teleporters won't work so we have to do exciting shuttle things shuttle things yeah so he has to go down to the planet he does that typical captain thing of doing the most dangerous thing at all times uh, leaving uh, Chekhov on to take over the bridge they go over the planet they need to get there like an hour and ten minutes they've got an hour and ten minutes what was it? oh because oh, the, the Klingons are coming the Klingons are coming the Klingons are coming and also this Western Saloon apparently has quite good sensors, so they need to plan that side sensor range. Um, but basically, William Shatner wanted to ride horses ride again. Ride horses again. Um, um, and also have Uhura dance naked in the This moonlight. is what I wanted to bring up so bad. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> again, go back to the original series, and there were several musical interludes of varying quality I don't care about that I don't know where she got the massive leaves from and what did she think she needed to be naked <laughs> she packs them as part of her away team equipment I mean <laughs> when you go on a trip do you not take a couple of massive palm leaves in I case they do an erotic dance and, and you promised your wife wouldn't do a me too trip, but I just think in like in the modern world right you're away on a away mission you're the only woman and they go right we need a distraction and then you have to have that conversation <laughs> it's like right so um um, I don't know if you um, did so you bring your leaves for a start it, well is it worse if Captain Kirk brought the leaves and went I had this idea but a beautiful voice he's got and it carries <laughs> yeah it, it's a it's Shatner man but surely it's such a you're like hold on this feels a bit distractiony. <laughs> They're all blissed up because they've had their pain taken away. That's true. They, they don't care. They yeah. just want to see a show. Yeah, that's they, it. They, they've ridden the horses out there. They just want, you know, dinner and a show. It, yeah. Again, it's the, the clumsiness of the script because it couldn't be polished. It couldn't be refined. You, you yeah. see these... I, I think... But it, hey, look, film. it gives Uhura something to do, which isn't that common in many of the Star Trek films. No. She gets a set piece. She's, um, she's sexied up in this film a few times, right? She has like a Scotty moment where... Yeah, there's a weird kind of... Are they together now as an item that... Yeah. Appears out of nowhere and disappears back to nowhere pretty much as quickly. I don't think it offended as many. I think if that happened now, you'd get the kind of level of rancor that you got around Natasha and Bruce Banner in The Avengers. Right. People going, oh, I don't like that pairing, blah, 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 blah. Back then, fans were calmer, or at least the angrier ones couldn't make their voices <laughs> Yeah, they'd have to write a postcard and send it in. So it, it kind of just got glossed over, and it was never picked up again or addressed. No, and if but it, Scott is a proper gent, though, because like, oh, yeah. he, he makes the donation. It's like, I, I could do you, I just don't want to under these circumstances. Well, to be fair... If, you're not in your right mind. If we're going to talk about diverse orientations... Scotty is clearly an objectophile and his love is the Enterprise. Yeah. 
He just so. wants to be alone with us. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, also, I wanted to check. As I say, as the sex distraction, they do a, a raid. Did he kill the cat lady? Did William Shatner, James D- Kirk, kill the cat lady? Because he throws her into the. He throws her into your favourite sporting my sports, uh, into the yeah. into the hand. Maybe the whole reason they were there was just for this, but like, no, I I suspect he didn't kill her, um, she, and I suspect the producers him. made him cut out the extended scene of her licking herself dry um, as, a, as a cat lady presumably would um, that's where they drew the line and went no crossing that <laughs> bit out we, we can't we'll leave her face down in the water and assume everything's a-okay she's probably just lapping up a little refreshing drink <laughs> after a busy fight <laughs> interestingly it's one of the few Star Trek movies since Star Trek 2 that doesn't really want to acknowledge the age of the crew mm, every yeah. other one has has made a point of doing that and turned it into a virtue this one just kind of glosses over it it's it's the last swashbuckling hurrah of the, but it, the crew it, and I think it maybe shouldn't have been because the, the, the little sort of fights that he does on his way to killing the cat lady whether he did or not he did um, <laughs> his swashbuckling way uh, like the fight scenes he has are horrendous he has the, like a and then, and like, yeah, in in like we can just suspend disbelief. There's, there's three tiered cat ladies. There's spaceships. There's people shooting rocks at people. But what I can't ever get over is some. If I trip someone up, that's not them out of the game. <laughs> no, um, I obviously a side effect of Cybox um, making you happy is you become incredibly fragile. Yeah, uh, and kind of like one. Stumble, you're down. That's it. Yeah, you're not getting back up. It's like tag rugby. It's like, there's, there's very much an honor system in the fighting. It's like if you touch the floor, then you're out. But yeah, again, the choreography on the fights isn't the greatest, and the next film would have better choreography. I don't know if you remember Star Trek Six. There's that fantastically self-aware scene where Kirk fights himself, right? Because the shapeshifter turns into Kirk, and, yeah. the, and that's better choreographed. Um, he's a first time director and I, I think it was a challenge for him and while his visuals are good there's a lot he lets yeah. slip yeah yeah okay I'll but again crappy Shatner fighting very original series Star Trek yeah well yeah even though even the most famous rock throwing sequence in the world is crappy oh yeah it's it, and that's why I keep coming back to the fact that of all the glossy films they've made Star Trek V is the most true to the original series that spawned it. Yeah. To the point where it probably shouldn't have been. It feels like we're dallying around a lot on these sort of opening sequences, but to be honest, the not middle and the ha- end <laughs> doesn't much offer happens. much, no. Well, and this is where I'm going to make my pitch for it not to go into the bunker. Not a lot happens event wise or plot wise. But there's tons of great character stuff. There's a lot of them just interacting, like the the trio of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. The camping stuff, yeah, it's goofy and it's a bit <sighs> cheesy, but it's them. And it, after all, the kind of if you think where the characters have been in the trilogy of the Genesis yeah. device, Spock dying, coming yeah. back to life, going back in time, and all that you just kind of see three friends enjoying each other's company and, yeah. and kind of interacting in that that way of kind of curmudgeonly and, and it's that old it's great stuff friends where you don't have to be on ceremony yeah. 24-7 and then you get the later bits where Cyborg tries to split them apart and test the bond of their friendship and he kind of he shows McCoy that scene where he switched off life support for his father like a few weeks before yeah. a cure came and that's quite whatever, raw that yeah and whatever else is happening DeForest Kelly's performance in that moment yeah, yeah. is superb I mean he is he is on point and again you see Spock see his father being born and his his dad rejecting him no doubt saying oh just shove him on the pile with the other children <laughs> that I've not acknowledged um <laughs> but you also we see we may need this in another <laughs> film just put him over there yeah but you also see Spock not troubled by that and that's a huge moment of character mm. um, journey and, and development from where the, 
he's been with the relationship with his father and the acknowledgement of his yeah. human and Vulcan side. Um, and then ultimately, Kirk's got that great speech about he doesn't want his pain taken away. His pain defines who he is. It he shapes needs his pain. Yeah, and he needs that to be the person he needs to be to do all the yeah. the rock climbing and. The, the, the scene, but, um, in terms of getting to that particular bit, um, I've got some questions that maybe you could answer. We could do some quick fire questions. So they get to the ship. Yep. Okay, so sort of crash land on there. Um, oh, the shoot him moment is superb. Yeah, that's good. How do they know where the brig was? How to know where the brig was? So uh, after they crash land and they have the fight, the um, self replicating baddies. Because <laughs> oh, there's, yeah. like, there's two of them. And then. Well, the don't, don't forget, back. at this point, they probably outnumber the crew because they, didn't, two of them. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have anybody on the crew. How did they know where the brig was? Immediately after the shoot him moment, you see him, you see Cyborg work his wonder on Sulu and Chekhov. Yeah. Um, so I, I assume he asked one of them. Next. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, da, 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 da. Surely brainwashing, like, surely he would have tried brainwashing Shatner at that point because that would have been handy to have the captain on board. Like it, it, you'd have thought he at least tried, right? I think he was eager to get underway, and he he does. Com- the quickest way of doing that, would but have been. he does comment that the bond between them is three. It will be quite a challenge. Yeah, he kind of has a throwaway moment where he goes back into when the he cells. goes back to do it. And I think essentially he puts he locks them up. He takes the rest of the crew to the bridge. He says, "This is where we're going. Get going." And then he goes back downstairs to to deal with that. So right, now I'm brainwashing. Yeah, I don't think there's a a lot of time passed. So I think it is quite. Immediate. His intention is that he's going to get the three of them on side. He, he throws them into the bridge, which Sulu's told him about. It's just yeah, it's a temporary holding area uh, with, with a toilet. The first toilet in Star Trek. I did like the touch of do not use flush whilst in space, <laughs> which is obviously directly from any train you've ever been on. Yes. So I like that. Um, when also did, implies that it's a hole directly out of space. <laughs> yeah, that, right, it's just like just straight through, which you don't want that failing. No, because you, you know, do not flush while sitting. <laughs> Just like mistake. That's the end of an alien film. Alien Resurrection ends like that, I think. Getting flushed out of a box space bog. Well, no, but there's a tiny hole and the the whole monster oh, he gets, does, like, yeah, gets sprayed out. out yeah. Maybe this is how they deal with prisoners. They just keep him dead so they need his the poo and then and then wow. where the prisoner goes, I don't know. It keeps happening. Dark side of Starfleet. That'll be a <laughs> section thirty one thing. It's um Guantanamo, USS Guantanamo. Um when did Sulu get changed? And why did he get changed? Changed as in because he was in his um excursion outfit, and then the next time we see him, he's in like proper bridge wear. Well, he's had his sadness removed, he's not had his elegance removed. It can't be improperly dressed on the bridge of the Enterprise. <laughs> um, Look, I'll be honest with you if I had a choice of any outfit or that ne- uh, that Star Trek uniform, that particular movie version, the burgundy clipper, I'd wear that all the time. <laughs> I love that uniform it's, more than it's good. anything it's better than else. the roll neck and the, and the away thing had the weird shoulders like what was oh the romper suits they were yeah, cute yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay um, why didn't Sky just open the cell door uh, I think it's implied it was guarded by uh, one of the people with sticks baddies. and rocks <laughs> how many baddies were there we don't know do we more than the crew <laughs> and um, then a bit of just pain which in the case we got to the bit with William Shatner yes. shouting pain a lot um, the, so just after the, and it is a good scene I will give you that 100% that um, and it, it does show some decent acting chops from everyone involved in that in that scene um, after that he just leaves so, so, lock, so lock. just leaves and they're not locked up they could just no I've Again, I think with a more polished script, it would be more obvious of the interesting dynamics going on there. Because at its heart, and what we haven't talked about... Because he's kind of challenged him, isn't he? He's, 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 he's kind of piqued Shatner's interest at this Well, point. don't forget, Kurt, at their sorry. heart, they are explorers. That's yeah. their mission, is to go and seek out new life, new civilizations, to boldly go where like, no man has gone before. Really early on in this sort of conversation, he's kind of like, is that... Possible, yeah, and it's you can see this kind of like, oh, yeah. So, I think it, it kind of reaches to that explorer part of Kirk. Um, I think what we haven't talked about is Lawrence Luckenbill as Cyborg really holds this film together. He's good, he, his performance throughout is great, yeah, yeah. Um, and he kind of helps you get over some of those. Wait, how does this guy manage to persuade these people to do it? He seems quite persuasive. You kind of go, yeah, he's got real charisma. Yeah. I mean, 
Uh, I think I've told you before they started recording. They were wanting Sean Connery for that role. He would have been awful. He would have. He would have dialed it in plus one. But also, he would have been just Sean Connery in space. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's where the name Shakari comes from. It's a it's a pun on that. So yeah, if they did that pun, they definitely did the pool table. They definitely did the pool table. Um, so yeah, I think it's with a little bit more finesse. You can see that it's that kind of well, maybe Cyborg isn't just this crazed madman. He's just really passionate about his belief that something lies there and he's so confident in that that he doesn't feel the need to imprison them he's yeah. like look I've explained what I'm trying to do I think it's possible we're going to do it you're welcome to join us um, whether or not I've taken your pay there is, there is implied a couple of times but it's never really like nailed down is the fact that he did have some sort of vision at some point yeah, which would explain his, his sudden appearance yeah and again, you know, where was he before why didn't he do this again I may be filling in some blanks from the novelisation no I think they, he meant well he, me he mentions a vision but it's much more detailed in the, the yeah. book of the film because uh, I think when he's actually so uh, we can fast forward to this bit so uh, they all kind of agree that they're going to take on the great barrier the great oily mark in the sky yeah and then they do and, <laughs> and they done. fly through it fine and yeah. then they they land on um, the, the planet and they eventually meet this this character who please and I think in that moment he actually says you look just like my vision yes right um, and I think yeah there's a lot filled in when did he cut his hair though uh, during reshoots yeah I know I know <laughs> do you know what? I watched this last night before we're gonna because I thought I'm gonna record I'm gonna just see if there's anything else I noticed and I just went oh yeah Cyborg's hair is a bit all over the place <laughs> in these scenes because his hair like is very long and and he's shabbily dressed so I think that they've cut a scene where he's preparing himself to visit God because that's oh, what oh getting himself spruced up because he's in a like a you know he's not just so you're telling me that even though it was understaffed they didn't have enough like troops and engineers and technicians and officers they did have the ship's barber on board. Did you see Shatner's hair ever look anything less than fabulous? Well, no, but that, it's probably like a Tribble that just looks after itself. <laughs> it's an Aaron Tribble that he's just tamed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it's reshoots. And as I said before, the ending was absolutely gutted by the studio just slashing the budget. But the, um, So yeah, you get the, the God guy coming, you get that fabulous beam of light that yeah, shoots out of space. Um, and then... Even like the, the sort of Discovery Planet shots are nice. There's it's like a, a nice outcrop, which is in this lovely silhouetted. Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's for all his faults as a director, framing a nice shot is not one of them. It shows shadow, a light touch. Yeah, um, and you've got the like the the kind of I don't know temple thing, the yeah, claw yeah. that looks great. Um, but then as that kind of all goes to shit, and the photon torpedo rains down, and Cyborg sacrifices himself by using his pain thing. <laughs> Um, well, oh, do we think it's the pain thing he's using? He does because he says, I "Oh, feel show me your, your pain,", pain. Yeah, and then yeah. he kind of leaps in there, and it doesn't actually do any good because he's he's still alive. It's just a shame. I don't think no one shouts out, "Don't wait, there's a torpedo coming!" Yeah. <laughs> um, and after that, they were meant to like the rocks were meant to like come to life, and they were pursued by kind of rock creatures, and it was a much bigger, um. more elaborate thing. I think on one of the Blu-ray editions or whatever, you see the test footage of them testing these things out right uh, okay I in my mind's eye I imagine it would have been have you seen the film Noah the Darren Aronofsky oh yeah yeah, yeah. and you know there's a bit where you see the, the rocky things that are meant to be angels yes yes S creatures like that would have attacked them there would be a much bigger battle yeah um, but what they were reduced to was Shatner climbing a slightly smaller mountain and then the Klingons shooting the creature that just wasn't killed by a photon torpedo with a gun but I think the implication is he's, gun. I think the implication is he's not dead it's just giving time to escape and then they can bugger off and he's still trapped on the planet because he, he feels trapped right because yeah he, he wants he's like oh, I'm god hi I'm god yeah. and he shows all the different faces like uh, he's like have you uh, got a lift yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, all that planning and you can tell and he, like, he blows he, it at the first question <laughs> when somebody goes uh, excuse me and he goes oh who are you it's like don't you know aren't you God um, it's like oh this is going wrong it's not how I wanted it to go it's like a really bad Tinder date <laughs> but so yeah it, it kind of ends very much like the original series yeah. where stories just kind of End. easy resolution and 
let's all sit on the bridge, have a bit of a laugh to each other, freeze yeah. frame, end credits. You get that kind of weird moment between Kirk and Spock on the Klingon ship. Where that Kirk was my favourite line on there. Not, not in front of the Klingons. Not in front of the Klingons. What? Not in front of the Klingons. <laughs> I don't know what, what was the... Kirk about to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that kind of partial reproachment between the Klingons and the Federation sets the scene for the next film to come. Yeah. Um, but it, the Klingons in this are probably my biggest issue with the sort of Star Trekiness of them because the the captain of the Klingon vessel Captain Kla Kla is very determined to make a name of himself as all Klingons are in, yeah. in glorious battle. Um, and he just capitulates really quickly and really easily just to sort of go I'm sorry like a like a like like what did that bit in the explorers where at the end you realise that he's just nicked his dad's ship and then his yeah. dad turns up and was like say sorry it is a it is a naughty schoolboy moment for yeah Clark. Um, in front of his girlfriend and everything <laughs> <laughs> but dad go to your room stop showing off yeah. oh god <laughs> It's the worst you can say to me right now. He probably stole the keys when his dad wasn't looking and like just joyriding around in his burger spray. Shooting yeah. old satellites. There's there's not enough of there's almost not enough of the Klingons and too much of the Klingons. Yeah. Either not have them or, or put them in more. Um I mean, yeah, arguably it might be more interesting had it been a, a Klingon spiritualist who wanted to go and see Shakari and did this. And yeah. you don't have the whole Spock's brother, huh? yeah. you just have this more interesting story but it it is flawed but it's flawed in really fascinating ways and really Star Trek ways yeah um, and it's kind of did we, did we need it to be Spock's brother though could it not have just been like an old acquaintance of Spock's I mean did we get anything from it being a relative there had to be the moment when he did not pull the trigger oh, despite Kirk said yeah, right, yeah. to shoot me that moment and again I don't think the script White, so it gets almost there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but whatever script Shatner was acting to, because he's really good in that moment, I don't think everyone else had that page. Because <laughs> everyone else seems more relaxed about it. Um, but yeah, I think that's where the family connection was used. And it, it was kind of a celebration of the, the bond between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy right through that film. That's yeah. what the film's actually about. Everything else is just. MacGuffin dressing, um, and maybe that's why I've I've grown to really like it because it's it's about the characters that I've known for my whole yeah. life. I, I think you're right. In this, I I didn't watch this film with the eyes leading up to it. I watched it with eyes looking back on yeah. it, sort of thing. So you know, you've seen you know, subsequent Star Trek films and the Abrams remakes and stuff, which are obviously a lot more. Star Warsy, yeah. Uh, they're just a lot more action heavy and things, and you kind of look at this and you see the slower pace and the sort of leaps, and you kind of you know judge it on those same merits. But you're saying you're right, and you compare it to original Star Trek series, and it's just an elongated, long, slightly better looking version of one of those. Yeah, um, which is a problem the next generation movies constantly struggled with because they yeah. always looked like elongated yeah well they were like, back episodes. then they were like a million dollars an episode right they were like the first yeah and don't forget we we'd left Kirk and that for 10 years at least before we saw them back on screen yeah we'd had 79 episodes they disappeared 10 years later they came back and we got a film every couple of years there was lots more to explore next generation you had 178 episodes and the next week they were in the cinema in another episode and you're kind of going I haven't had time, I, I time I, to miss you yet. Why am I paying for this? Um, so, I was in trouble with Data's face as well. I preferred Data. You are not going to like Star Trek Picard then when it comes round. <laughs> really? Oh, talk about your Data is corrupted. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Okay, well that, that brings us to the end of the film. Oh, the, the score. I mean, the score. It's it's got a score by Jerry Goldsmith. You can't go wrong. Um, who obviously did the motion picture, which gave the next generation its theme tune. Um, but back in the motion picture, he developed this Klingon theme, which he used for all of two minutes while they're on screen. Yeah. And it's this film that he gets to use that a lot, and he plays with that much more. Um, but as as far as scores go, it's one of the best Star Trek motion picture scores. I think Star Trek always have good scores. Right? Four didn't. Four was weird and. <laughs> Nemesis was 
a sad end to Jerry Goldsmith's career because I think that was his final score and it, it's not a great score right okay but I can't really remember. I mean, all I remember is it being obviously Tom Hardy pretending to be Doctor Evil yeah yeah <laughs> <coughs> but no um, Star Trek 5 has one of the best scores of any Star Trek film um, and again I think that helps paper over some of the cracks by giving it this sense of majesty and scale that the story itself doesn't deliver yeah yeah so they, they all kind of um, live happily ever after that's all there, there's a there's a, it's a good tidy up at the end they all kind of like you all know there, there's no one loose ends we know the thing's still on the planet or maybe dead the Klingons have been told off and they're going back home to say sorry to everybody there as well yeah and um, then uh, Kirk um, and Spark and McCoy get to go back to well see this is what I think maybe there's another thing because it looks like they go back to live in an oil painting. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, they stand around the wheel because they have a little drinks reception, don't they? There's a little party at the end. They have a little party. Um, and then Kirk says something massively racist about where God lives because it's in the human heart. And it's like, dude, there are non-humans around here <laughs> for the <laughs> love of God. Um, and then they kind of go yeah it's, it's lovely we're all friends and then you get kind of a view of the planet and it's nice and it, it ends and Starfield and all that and I think at the time when I saw it I kind of went oh is that how it ends but knowing they go on to make Star Trek 6 which is brilliant you kind of go this isn't the end it's fine it's, it's got, fine they've got one more adventure in them See, I think and it's going to be great that God gave them I think it was actually God and he gave Kirk what he wanted which was like heroic out and then to live in Yosemite <laughs> <laughs> oh god yes I forgot they go back and go camping again and sing and sing again row 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 your boat uh, wow. and then it pans up but it's, it's very clearly like a, a painted scene moment. yeah no I've, I've changed my mind lock it in the vault <laughs> <laughs> that last no. scene um, yeah no. Well, it seems to be under the impression that I get to choose. I I am just a servant of the bunker gods, and and the bunker gods tell me that I have to do what you tell me tell me to do. I I so will I'm, never consign. I would never consign a Star Trek film to the bunker, except Nemesis. <laughs> um, I will put that in the bunker myself and weld the door shut. Uh, Star Trek Five absolutely does not deserve to go in the bunker, okay. um, and. Captain Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and damp pool playing triple breasted <laughs> cat ladies can roam the galaxy as they see fit. <coughs> okay, well, yeah, I, I, I did need to find out who did the triple breasted first, and it does appear that it was Star Trek. And it was William Shatner, like it could be anyone. Else. <laughs> like, when you think about like who, who's the first space guy to come across triple breasted cat ladies? It's like it's going to be Kirk. It's going to be Kirk. I'm surprised, yeah, like he didn't. We'll leave that there. Okay. <coughs> so um, remind us where we can find you online. Uh, you can find me at thecragus.com where I publish uh, my reviews with sporadic <laughs> regularity. Uh, I'm on Twitter at thecragus um, uh, far too often. So if you're looking for a response, you'll get it there really quickly. <laughs> you will. Uh, I'm on Instagram where I'm currently working through an episode of The Next Generation a day. Oh, wow. and reviewing them um, and by an uncanny coincidence I arbitrarily started on a day that means when I finish it will be the premiere of Star Trek Picard really? just it accidentally? 100% fluke wow wow that's serendipity right there okay right thank you for your time I can't thank promise you. I won't bring you back I'll uh, get thinking I guess I've done a Superman 3 I've done Star Trek 5 I need to find a seventh instalment well, to defend. So, Fibonacci, you go eight. Mission to Moscow. <laughs> I'm going to try and defend Mission to Moscow. No, I'll find no, something better. That. <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.